Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi guys, this is Aswin Subsang, but please call me Swin, and welcome to the Daily Beast Fever Dreams. Hi, I'm Will Summer, a politics reporter at the Daily Beast, where I dig into all the darkest recesses of American extremism and extremely online militants. I'm currently working on a book about QAnon and its disastrous impact on our society. I'm also a senior political reporter at The Beast and co-author of the book, Sinking in the Swamp. I've spent years covering the intersection of entertainment and politics, and in the post-Trump era, seems like that's the only sensible way to cover politics in this beautiful, hideously stupid country of ours. On this podcast, we're going to take you on deeply reported plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics who are infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. We're here to help you better understand how and why this is happening, and who in the halls of power is letting it happen. Along the way, we'll also regularly bring on guests including political pros, hard-nosed reporters, and some influential voices from Hollywood. Every once in a while, you might also hear from some familiar faces from the trenches of Trump land and the veterans of the Democratic corridors of power. All right, Swin, I have a question for you. Shoot. Do you miss the boat? Which boat are you referring to? The boat that was blocking the Suez Canal that has now moved on and robbed us of, a, a, I think, what was becoming a prime content opportunity. Ah, I've seen a meme or two about this on the internet. I regrettably inform you that I have not been super following this, so if you want to explain to me the boat as if I'm a two-year-old, that would actually be super beneficial to me right now. It's not super complicated, right? I mean, it's a boat. It was a big boat, and it blocked the whole Suez Canal, and, you know, we loved the boat. How did it get there? I mean, it got it got stuck. I mean, there, there was wind, maybe. It kind of ran aground. You know, it was kind of a big moment, I think, in terms of, you know, we all love seeing a big boat. The tugboats <laughs> were trying to move it. You know, they weren't getting much success. Uh, obviously, it has now moved on as of as of Sunday night uh, here in the United States. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I kind of liked the boat and, and I was sort of settling in for a long, um, kind of a long, a long saga as they, you know, there was talk, are they going to blow up the boat? Are they going to, you know, maybe build a ramp for the other boats to jump the boat? Uh, and of course, that that has not come to pass. What was in the boat? Well, we don't know. I mean, containers, it's all kinds of things. I mean, probably. So are there any alternate theories floating around there about what was in the boat? Was the cargo weapons to Syria or was it just like things from the wig factory? Well, OK, so I mean, obviously, it's a lot of things. But in, in terms of my characters, my beloved figures, my my QAnon people, my bleach people, <laughs> the key thing to understand here is that Hillary Clinton's Secret Service code name, you know, it always goes back to her. Her Secret Service oh, code. God name was Evergreen, which is also the name of the boat company. And so the boat had a big Evergreen on the side of it. This is really like horrendous luck uh, on uh, Hillary Clinton's part. But (laughs) the so they were like, oh, you know, maybe the boat 
was trafficking something on behalf of Hillary Clinton, or maybe, you know, the captain ran it aground as a signal. And and, and so, you know, th- there's always grist in the mill, you know, that these people can, can draw on. And of course, now, you know, it was like, oh, the boat's trafficking children, whatever, we got to save the boat. But of now course. that the boat's moved on, it's like, okay, moving on. And it's like, well, I mean, aren't you still interested in the boat? <laughs> you know, it, but now it's out of the headlines. Eh, we're done with the boat. Anybody I know who is making these claims about the boat? Also, the evergreen thing is really fun. I'm sorry. That is a classic coincidence for... You know, I mean, just various unsavory characters. I mean, you know, this wasn't like, uh, you know, people in Congress were talking about this. But, you know, so much of the, the conspiracy theories is is believing that there isn't this random world where, I don't know, a boat got trapped or whatever. But that, that it's, you know, it's all part of this kind of grand plan. And so, of course, the boat, uh, you know, as with everything, had to play into that. Okay, speaking of Hillary Clinton conspiracy theories, there's something that I've been picking up on recently at the beginning of the Biden era in which the Biden-related conspiracy theories that you would see emerging in all these major influential sectors of the right-wing fever swamps of the online or whatever, they are not nearly as potent as what you saw with Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or other major, or, or even John Brennan, if we're talking about like B-grade cast members in, in these whole affairs. And when you talk to Republican operatives or Republican pollsters, they consistently, for these first couple of months or so of the Biden presidency, give you the exact same response. And this happened during the Biden campaign as well, where they were saying that, okay, among the Republican base, the Trump base, and GOP voters, a President Biden or a candidate Biden just does not inspire the same level of hatred or vitriol that you would see with a President Obama or a Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And I mean, when we're talking about Biden compared to Obama, I mean, it's not a huge mystery why. We can talk more about that later. And there was this fascinating detail in this piece written by Washington Post reporter and our dear friend Dave Weigel while he was at the 2021 CPAC that was held recently in Florida, where he was interviewing people who were selling merchandise. You know, at CPAC, all the halls are lined with people trying to hawk like right-wing merch. And he reported that people were telling him that, oh, we can't even give the Biden merchandise away. We've been trying and there's all this uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden merchandise. But no, what people really want to buy and what is selling like hotcakes or something close to it is the Hillary Clinton merch, the Obama merch. So I'm wondering, well, does this bleed over into conspiracy theory land that you specialize in covering so well where it's just more just so much more of a snore than it is when you compare it to Hillary or Obama. Yeah, I mean, you know, people, they they struggle to kind of figure out exactly what the deal with Biden is. I mean, the line is, you know, he's like senile, he's barely sentient, you know, as Donald Trump memorably said, he doesn't even know he's alive. And so it's just kind of like, what's Biden's deal? To the extent that like even some Q people after he was inaugurated, one of their their sort of uh, refuges was like, maybe Biden's working with Trump and their buddies. (laughs) Last night I was reading this document that was circulated amongst kind of Sidney Powell and Linwood associates that was, you know, alleging that there was this coup going on against Trump and they needed to do all this stuff. And it said this this was kind of a, a high ranking figure putting this dossier together. And he said, you know, ultimately Biden will step down, but not in favor of Kamala Harris. And then you wonder, you know, who could it be? Who's interesting enough to, to make this this kind of uh, nightmare vision of the world happen? And he said, that's right. Biden will be replaced by the communist leader himself, Barack. Hussein Obama. And so, you know, they're kind of bringing, they have to dredge up the old characters because, you know, Biden, even even as he's passing, you know, all, all, all these kind of massive social programs, they just can't get a, can't get an angle on him. Right. Is that mainly just because they find him so personally 
boring. Like, he doesn't look like a radical. He doesn't dress like a radical. It's harder for even former President Trump to sell him as a quote-unquote communist or socialist or whatever he would say over and over and over again. Even Donald Trump, who was devoid of self-awareness in so many ways, was aware enough to know that at a rally in tweets or whatever, he would have to message it as Joe Biden himself is not a socialist or whatever, but he will allow himself to be managed by quote-unquote socialists in his administration. Sure, I mean, you know, I mean, it is the whole idea, right, of the the Biden candidacy was that he was kind of this boring old white guy who could sort of skate into office, as we've seen. I mean, I I do think, though, we're starting to see, particularly with the the right-wing media kind of heating things up on the border. I mean, the the idea is that Biden's out to lunch, that he's incompetent. And then I think if you take this frame of this this surge of people at the border, those mesh. And so I I think we're going to see, you know, the immigration thing kind of continue to be be the the main slam on Biden. Biden right now. And obviously a big factor here is simply that Joe Biden is not black and or a woman. There's that. So, I mean, factor that into this as you will. So, Swin, you've been doing some reporting on the fights within MAGA world um, over the vaccine. Obviously, you have some people who think, you know, Bill Gates has microchipped the vaccine. uh, And then you have people in the Trump administration who are proud of their work on the vaccine and want to tout that. Uh, How's that breaking down? Well, it's interesting because there is a sort of turf battle over this at certain parts of the upper echelons of Trump world and the Trump world diaspora after Donald Trump left office. And it's interesting because, as you point out, This is largely comprised of people who want to constantly remind the American people how much, quote unquote, credit Donald Trump deserves for helping to shepherd us to this point. I mean, that's their framing, obviously not mine. And but also there's this large sector, including among the Republican and Trump base, which is anti-government and has it almost built in with or without the pandemic, that they should be skeptical of things that the government is pushing, especially if it has to do with a mass vaccination drive at this point headed by people like Joe Biden, who they might as well uh, view as the devil. Now, one of the guys who is a veteran of the senior ranks of the Trump administration is this guy named Michael Caputo. Listers might know him as this really brash, incredibly Trumpy, longtime Republican operative who in Uh, the final year or so of the Trump era, was tapped by then-President Trump to head up communications at HHS. He's a guy who's known Donald Trump for a long while. He worked on the 2016 campaign as a advisor to Trump and as a uh, communications operative. And he was someone who left the administration in the fall of 2020 under this gigantic miasma of controversy in which he was a very public figure while the Trump administration was being hit with uh, negative story after negative story and was embroiled in COVID-related scandal after COVID-related scandal. And one of his last things on the job uh, was this widely circulated video that he did on Facebook where he accused CDC scientists of being seditionists against Donald Trump and warning of far-left hit squads, stuff like that. So he exited the administration on this really, really, really accelerated Trumpy turn. And at some point in September 2020, it was announced that he had also been diagnosed with uh, a very serious case of cancer. So for that, he had to leave the administration. Okay, so, you know, Swin, when we were talking, 
talking about this. You told me this crazy story about this biker bar where Caputo's been going. You know, tell me about that. Oh, absolutely. He's he was mentioning how on top of being on Facebook and going to Republican committee uh, meetings and doing Zoom calls, there was this biker hangout called Kips, K-I-P-P apostrophe S, near where he lives that has these life-size cutouts of President Trump and Melania where you can, you know, stand there and smile and take your photo. He described it as top bottom Johnny Cash memorabilia in this biker hangout when it's not top to bottom Donald Trump memorabilia. And he talked about how he'd go there and have discussions with various people who invariably many of them would be anti-vaccine. And he'd do what he could to tell them that the vaccine is safe. You should take it. It is part of Donald Trump's solution. The former president wants you to take it. And he would find himself both at this biker hangout and elsewhere, including on Facebook, oftentimes meeting heavy resistance to the idea. He would run into people who, even when they were told that Donald Trump had said on stage at CPAC on national television during recent Fox News interviews as a post-president that the vaccine is a great thing and you should take it, they would argue that Donald Trump didn't actually mean that or that he was somehow forced into the situation and that someone or something is making Donald Trump do this. And they would throw arguments back at Caputo. And I'm sure you've heard stuff like this a lot too, Will, that people will use the fact that Melania Trump and Donald Trump during the final days of his presidency got the coronavirus vaccine in secrecy. So, I mean, what was the reaction here? I mean, so he's talking to the Sons of Anarchy and he's saying maybe the MAGA Sons of Anarchy here. I mean, he's in this biker bar. Is he getting the bum rush or are they taking the vaccine? Well, he says that uh, some of them have come come around to his way of thinking, but others, whether he's arguing with them on Facebook or in person or wherever, will, according to Caputo, will sometimes ask him if he's been working for the pharmaceutical industry now and then unfriend him on Facebook. Look, I, I have to say there is sort of an irony here, right, which is that Michael Caputo, this guy who was promoting, you know, nonsense himself, is tight with Roger Stone, you know, suddenly he's basically coming face to face with what he helped create. You know, he's going to this biker bar, you know, he's on this kind of one man journey to get Republicans vaccinated. And then they're like, oh, no, you know, because we believe uh, all these lies. So, you know, I mean, there, there is a certain irony here. Right. And when you're talking about people who are also close to Trump and friends with Trump, who stand on the exact opposite end of the vaccine spectrum of this, you got guys like Mike Lindell, who, of course, is the My Pillow founder, who is a perfect avatar of the MAGA diehard, will seemingly will never give up on the fiction that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 presidential election. And he is incredibly anti-vaccine. He's told us before that the social media website that he's trying to get off the ground, that he's launching it in large part because he wants it to be a quote-unquote free speech haven where people can flock to to uh, denounce the vaccine. He's telling us things like, oh, the vaccine has the mark of, uh, of the beast. I will never take it. It's against my religion. And then you have all these different people on Fox News, even when they're not blatantly spreading anti-vax misinformation or disinformation, they sort of front load it with saying, okay, well, you can take the vaccine, but also freedom in America is important. I just love this idea of a a particular, like, it's like, we got to reach out to the bikers. You know, Michael Caputo rolls up to the Bandito's headquarters. He's got like CDC on the bottom rocker of his vest. This is really, you you know, I I think a very evocative imagery. So Swin, I mean, you know, kind of pulling back the lens here. I mean, where do you think this this larger effort to get Republicans, particularly, you know, big Trump supporters vaccinated. I mean, where do you think this is headed? Well, I think it's headed to a point, and hopefully I'm wrong on this, that in order to make a significant 
dent in the national polling right now in terms of Republican voters and Trump fans who are either highly skeptical of coronavirus vaccines or just outright saying, I do not want to take it. I don't want it anywhere near my family. You would have to have people like Donald Trump and Melania Trump mounting, uh, if not PSA campaigns or video campaigns, but make a major messaging push. Sure. And, you know, the opposite of this is that people uh, often in cities who are looking for vaccines know that they can go to red areas where there's a lot of surplus of vaccines because people aren't going for them. For example, I know in in St. Louis, there's people who have been hunting uh, out in the rural areas uh, outside of St. Louis. I know in in, here in D.C., there was a lot of talk about this town in southern Virginia that was called the the Dansville Miracle because you could just drive out there and get a vaccine. And that's the world we're living in now. Something else I've been following recently that has been absolutely fascinating me is that if you read the granular details of these official court documents and records that have been coming out as the feds are charging and investigating more and more MAGA rioters or insurrectionists or whatever you want to call them, is that just sounds so appallingly dumb, the little details that they have to work into the footnotes of these documents and that they have to explain. Because when it comes to MAGA rioters and their ilk, these are some of the biggest dumbasses who have ever set foot on the American internet, and they frequently go out of their way to sound like it. So in some cases, the FBI is actually reduced to explaining in court and official documentation the slang they use and the parlance of the MAGA internet. And that includes one recent affidavit related to a Capitol riot case that Huffington Post reporter Ryan J. Riley screenshotted recently on Twitter, and it caught my eye. It reads, in which an FBI special agent who typically investigates violent gangs explains what a, quote, soy boy means in a capital case affidavit. Now, this apparently is on page 14 of the affidavit, and if you read the number six bullet point, it reads, your affiant understands the term soy boy to be a derogatory term used by certain people to denigrate individuals they perceive as lacking masculine characteristics. Parentheses, because they drink soy milk instead of cow milk, end quote. Yeah, you you know, this is just fabulous to me. So as perhaps the first reporter to notice soy boy as an insult. That was you? Yeah, man, that was me. I invented it. No, it's a, it it has been a true journey watching this grow. So, so I never thought I would see soy boy playing into, you know, uh, a federal case about attempting to overthrow the government. So the idea here is cooked up around maybe 2017-ish on the the right wing is this idea that, you know, these, these effete liberals, they drink soy milk instead of cow milk. And as a result, these hormones in the soy have feminized them. And so then they start calling people soy boys. And this, you know, this plays out in so many different ways. They say, you know, there's the soy face, which is, you know, kind of a man with a patchy beard getting excited because he, you know, got a Nintendo Switch or something like that. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really has, you know, even gone, I think, from the right into into our more general uh, internet discourse. Okay, as someone who obviously works with you and follows your work very closely, I was not aware that the world knows about soy boys because of you. When did this happen and why? Yeah, I mean, well, this was pre-Daily Beast. I mean, this was maybe, uh, you know, 2017 or 2018 early. And I realized that, you know, these guys were just going in. They were calling each other soy boys. Look, they were calling me a soy boy, right? And so I, I decided... Well, you do drink a lot of soy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I decided to get into it. And then, you know, it's kind of like with a lot of these things where it's like, oh, how ridiculous. Soy, soy, you know, doesn't make you feminine. And then I would think, but maybe? I don't know. I mean, scientifically, we know that it doesn't, but <laughs> (laughs) But you know why it kind of seeped enough into my head. Um, But really, soy boy, you know, as we saw here, has really become, you know, one of the, the key right wing insults, you know, alongside, of course, cuck. And now I would say simp. 
So did people start going with Soy Boy because latte sipping liberal was too passe? I definitely think, you know, latte, you know, I mean, the kind of people they're going after, right, are they're imagining these kind of like these dudes who write for video game websites, perhaps, or, um, you know, post about uh, social justice on Twitter. I mean, these are not people like a latte liberal, I think, has has, uh, has implications of like this guy's like kind of rich and fancy. Right. Um, but in this case, I mean, these are people who are seen as like gu- guzzying soy milk is, is very effete, um, you know, perhaps an Antifa type. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, look, I, I never said the insult made sense. I mean, you know, but it, but it's certainly... The other thing I would say is I love how in these federal documents um, related to the riot, and we can see this in other instances too, the FBI agents who are clearly just like really dreading having to go into parlor and gab and that they have to say to the judge, uh, yeah, your honor, um, you know, yeah, this is uh, this is what a soy boy is. God, I don't actually feel sorry for these federal agents and prosecutors who have to dig through all this like insipid idiocy because you know fascism is already incredibly dumb it doesn't matter what decade you're in but especially now i mean have they had to explain pepe frogs yet in in like court filings <laughs> because th- that would be yet another step beneath the floor to me if that ended up coming around I mean, they definitely, I don't know if in the riot, I mean, I, I, I would be really surprised if Pepe hasn't come up somehow in federal court. And, you know, you've got other stuff like, of course, the the boogaloo, right? They've got to explain, oh, your honor. Well, when they say big luau and they wear Hawaiian shirts, they're talking about the boogaloo. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's just another crossover between our uh, the Internet and our uh, increasingly crazed, Internet crazed world, um, you know, which is what Fever Dreams is all about. Well, I wonder if they've had to yet explain where the name Proud Boys comes from, because it's my understanding, and correct me here, Will, if I'm wrong, that it was derived by Gavin McGinnis or one of his cohorts from a deleted song from the animated film musical Aladdin. Yes, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's a song called Proud of Your Boy from, and I want to be clear here, <laughs> not the animated Aladdin movie, but from the Aladdin musical. And so oh, Gavin right. McGinnis, I believe, went to a recital at his son's elementary school or middle school, and he saw some kid performing Proud of Your Boy. And this really, I mean, this is kind of like your supervillain origin story, right? And so he sees this and he goes, how decadent and defeat. I need to create a group that plays off of this, again, kind of an obscure song even for Aladdin aficionados and, and we're going to play off of that and so so that is is how the we then ended up with groups allegedly plotting to overthrow our government. Imagine you're a federal prosecutor and you have to waltz into court and convince a judge or a grand jury about how what happened on January 6th and beyond was a grave threat to the American democratic fabric. People died. Uh, blood was spilled everywhere and that these people are akin to your common terrorist and you're trying to walk in there with this level of gravitas and urgency about how this is a danger to the republic and we need to address this as judiciously as possible. And then you spend half of your time explaining things like Daffy Duck memes. (laughs) This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And now we'd like to bring on a guest who is a uh, fellow Beast here. Uh, Her name is Kelly Weil. She is another reporter at the Daily Beast who also specializes in covering the same kinds of extremism and debauched lunacy that our friend William Summer does. In February 2022, she'll be releasing her first book, titled Off the Edge, which chronicles the bizarro flat earth movement. Off the Edge will be published by Algonquin Books. You can follow Kelly's work, of course, at thedailybeast.com and also on Twitter at Kelly Weil. Kelly, welcome to your debut on the pod. How does it feel? Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, frightening and terrifying. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. That's exactly what we go for. We're an intense bunch. That's the kind of attitude to bring. So, Kelly, you wrote a story for uh, The Beast recently about this this lawyer. I, I don't know if I should even call him a lawyer. This gentleman who's uh, who's been representing all of these businesses trying to flout COVID rules. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So this guy's name is Rick Martin. You can't legally call him a lawyer. That's actually the subject of a criminal case now in Michigan. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. They're coming for you next. No. So if if you were following the cases of a few businesses across the country this summer, a barbershop in Washington, some restaurants in California and Michigan, they were trying to stay open against uh, mask mandates and outdoor seating rules by saying that any kind of COVID measures were actually domestic terrorism by the government. And therefore, they were allowed to stay open under the Patriot Act. That's not to my knowledge at all how the Patriot Act works, but you got to roll with them. So lo and behold, one of these cases did come to court. A restaurant got shut down because they followed this Patriot Act guidance a little too literally. This man, Rick Martin, comes into court, says, I'm their lawyer. I'm going to protect him. And wait, his name is Ricky Martin. Uh, Just Rick. But I mean, it, listen, everyone's playing. Everyone's- so Ricky, you know, he has to tell people so much. He has to be like, no, it's Rick. <laughs> Has has to clarify. There's uh, there's too many on that on that list. Yeah, and the judge pointed out that he is not a lawyer. That he's been uh, passing himself off as such, and he and his client went to jail. I love it. Is this guy a sovereign citizen? He uses a lot of sovereign citizen like legal tactics. I don't know if he explicitly calls himself that, but his whole theory is that the uh, the bar, you know, the law test that attorneys pass to get accredited is actually a uh, British conspiracy and that all accredited lawyers are actually loyal to the crown and therefore they don't have your interest in mind. And that, that to me, it's extremely sobset. Um, so he says he's a, he's a constitutional attorney and he's not loyal to the crown. He's loyal to you, the American citizen. But unfortunately, that does not mean he's a lawyer and does not mean he can uh, pass himself off as such in court. Okay. And 
lately you have been covering not just this guy, but uh, but lawyers, generally speaking, in this world. And I mean, I don't think it's a mystery to anybody listening to this why these guys can't seem to start getting better lawyers. But you've done some reporting recently on um, how the Oath Keeper's best new hope is a lawyer who cites Lord of the Rings. Can you tell us a little bit more about these Lord of the Ring references and what they have to do with this case, or if not the case, the lawyer himself or herself? Yeah. So the lawyer's name is Kelly Sorrell. She is one of the crew that kind of sprung up around the 2020 election, saying that the the results were fraudulent and that via a an extremely arcane set of legal filings, she would overturn the government and dissolve Congress. How she and her colleague argued that was citing... Uh, you, you know the the elf story and the I, d- I don't know about Lord of the Rings. Okay, I I just you can't press me on the legal precedent from there. But they know it very well and said that there was like some elf king who uh, <laughs> wasn't actually in line to the throne, so the throne was open and the Hobbit. I- so Donald Trump gets to be president now because. Exactly. Yeah. So because of the precedent set forth in Gondor law. In Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Got it. And they said it was a metaphor, but you know, there's only so many pages of filing you can really start offering before. It's like, this isn't a metaphor, guys. This is something deeply personal to you. Okay. So so the name of this lawyer is Kelly Sorrell, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And you described her as a failed Texas House candidate and a member of the group Lawyers for Trump. So how much... I, I, I. don't really remember hearing much about her in that anti-democratic months-long blitz that Trump and Giuliani and those guys oversaw and the related efforts. How big of a deal was she in that before she pivoted to being this Oath Keeper's go-to? She was sort of the B-League, you know, the second string of the weird lawyers. I think the Sidney Powells and the Lynn Woods really sucked up all the oxygen. But she was trying for, you know, she was trying for her place there, filing some really weird stuff to try and keep up with the pack. She was around right after the election. And in fact, the night before the Capitol riot, she was in this infamous video with the head of the Oath Keepers with this really fringe uh, Virginia politician with the head of a pack that supports the Proud Boys and with this guy who was uh, previously arrested for bringing an AR-15 and a katana to a Philadelphia vote count center. So she's around, you know, they they network where they can. So these Oath Keepers, I mean, I mean they're facing like some pretty heavy charges. I mean, is Kelly Sorrell up to the, up to the challenger? So it's entirely unclear to me what capacity she represents them in. She is right now she's fundraising, saying that she's a, um, a an attorney for them. I don't think she's taking on any of their cases criminally, at least not in any filings I've seen, which for the Oath Keeper's sake, good for them. I don't want the Hobbit lawyer uh, arguing my sedition case in court. But uh, she is. Yeah, she's going on like Gateway Pundit and all these fundraising sites representing herself as their lawyer. So Kelly, obviously uh, a lot of us saw the the Proud Boys getting involved in the January 6th insurrection, but you have some reporting recently that the Proud Boys, after going a little undercover amid uh, federal pressure, are now back in the mix. Tell me more. Yeah, so the Proud Boys actually took a beat after 
the Capitol riot. They were kind of off the streets for a little bit, you know, just kind of posting away from uh, from the safety of their phones. They're starting to come back out. You know, I don't know if it's the nice weather or the distance from the Capitol riots, but they're not advertising many of their own events. Instead, they are just hijacking uh, weird little regional things. They showed up at an anti-gay church's like straight pride party. They showed up at some failed, there was this event, uh, what was it, two week- weekends ago that it was like patriots around the world will rise up in their respective cities. And it turned out to be like 50 people standing around in, Nor- in a North Carolina parking lot. So they were there, you know, and they were actually just this past weekend out in Salem, Oregon at the Capitol. So they're kind of starting to dip their toe back in, but uh, not always in the bold face way that they used to. It's, it's what's the Proud Boys game here. I mean, like, you know, their their chairman's facing a felony charge uh, in D.C. Some of their other top leaders have been arrested regarding the riot. I mean, what's what's the next step for them, do you think? I mean, they do not really seem cowed by all this. And that kind of makes sense. Their whole ethos is that they're, you know, uh, ready to brawl. They don't really care about the law. So I think they're going to stick it out. They're going to still be in the streets. But I mean, anyone with any sense would stay 10 miles away from them. I mean, they're riddled with informants. They turn on each other. It's really just a, it's a one-way ticket to jail. You mentioned a while ago this Capitol rioter and this straight pride guy who recently stiffed their lawyer. Who was the attorney and what, what, what was the response to this? So the uh, the accused fellow here is Mark Zahady. He's kind of infamous around Boston for hosting these, quote, straight pride events. That's just an inflammatory title for the whole banner of awful reactionaries that show up. You know, neo-Nazis, regular, just more low-profile pro- racists. Uh, Some guys who just love being straight. So, I mean, it's... Absolutely. You know, what's, what's wrong with being a, a proud boy? So he and another uh, another associate organized 11 buses to the Capitol riot. So they were pretty involved. Um, and of course, you know, they're busted like everyone else on charges, I think, of entering the building. They He obtained a lawyer. And one of the conditions for his bond release is they're like, OK, buddy, you can go back outside, but you can't go to any more riots. Well, what do you know? Like two <laughs> week, weekends ago, he's out there again. Again, not only is he out there at one of these like um, these far right events, but they introduce him. They give him the microphone. They're like, do you guys want to meet a domestic terrorist? Mark, get on up here. (laughs) And it's like you couldn't stay inside for a weekend, man. Like it's not even it's Boston. You don't need to go outside. Um, So so my colleague called up his lawyer to, you know, see like, hey, do you think this violates his uh, his bond conditions? And his lawyer's like, don't ask me about this guy. He hasn't paid me. I know he has the money. He's just not talking to me or giving me any uh, money. What was he so, expecting? <laughs> you know, listen, everyone's got the right to an attorney, but at a certain point, you do have to pay them or answer their emails or at least abide by the conditions of your you know, bond release and not show up to an event calling yourself a domestic terrorist when you're kind of on, on trial for that sort of thing. The guy doesn't respect the basic tenets of American democracy and republicanism. He's not going to respect a contract where it says, oh, you have to pay me this or here's my retainer. <laughs> Can I just say that that straight pride bit is one of the 
dullest bits out there for those guys. I mean, I was at a Trump rally in December and I saw this big flag and I was like, oh man, we got a new movement on the loose. I'm pumped. And so I went over to interview him and he's like, oh yeah, it's straight pride. I was like, ah, this stinks. I'm out of here. So, you know, I mean, they, they have been riding this thing for several years and uh, and now, I don't know, possibly uh, facing, uh, you know, some serious consequences. Yeah, man, would I not be mad at all to see that go away? Because they do it because they get a rise out of people. People are like, you can't have a straight pride parade. And they're like, Ha-ha. Triggered the left again. Yeah, I mean, they get a lot of pick. I mean, that's the it gets so much pickup on Twitter because people are like, what straight pride? And it's like, folks, calm down. It's three people. <laughs> it's three people facing like a collective like 175 years in prison. It's, you know, <laughs> not worth your afternoon. Well, hey, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on thedailybeast.com and on Twitter under my own name and, uh, you know, just walking around New York if you want to find me. What are you on Gab? <laughs> I will never disclose that. <laughs> I had my parlor up, uh, my my name, and then it was just like a, a torrent of abuse. So I had to change it <laughs> to uh, something else. Well, great. Well, uh, Kelly, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, welcome now to Fresh Hell, the segment where we talk about some new nightmarish thing in our uh, in, in our reality. And today for Fresh Hell, I have one that I think may have gone a little little under the radar, at least for a little how crazy it was. Last week, some National Guard soldiers outside of, in the Dallas area were transporting vaccines in what was expected to be a you know a relatively mundane job. And then suddenly, a man you know comes out of nowhere in a car and starts trying to run the, the run the National Guard troops off the road, uh, and he succeeds, and he jumps out with a gun and he says he's a detective uh you know he's not really a detective uh and that he was convinced that these vaccine transports were being used to uh to transport uh in fact sex trafficked children jesus okay so was anybody hurt no no surprisingly um i mean truly a bizarre instance here because this is a guy uh larry lee harris allegedly um out of arizona big beard um this guy who seems to have taken some sort of vigilante action based on his own idea you know, he basically takes these guard members hostage um, until the actual police arrive. And then he goes, eh, you know, oh, I guess I was wrong. It's kind of uh, reminiscent of the um, the Pizzagate gunman who, after he was busted, said, uh, oh, I guess there's no kids in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I told the cops, oh, oh well. Um, and so in this case, yeah, I mean, this guy is crazy. I mean, you have a guy who, you know, runs some soldiers off the road and is, we don't have an official QAnon connection here, but um, I kind of have to suspect there's one in the offing. I asked the sheriff's department in this kind of small area outside of Dallas that was involved in this case. They seemed pretty baffled. They said they kind of have no idea why this guy did this, besides the fact that he was very amped up on internet tales about sex trafficked kids. So it's the exact language of QAnon, even if the letter Q never came up in his literature. That's exactly right. And I mean, you know, this kind of gets into a pet peeve of mine, which is when there, there seems to be a QAnon or other kind of one of these crimes and you want to say, um, you know, the cops are then like, ah, all right, book them. And it's like, well, ask him why he did it, you know, and, and, and you know, maybe uh, maybe write it down in a way that I can report on. Right. And there's this parsing among some people where they try to deny that stuff like this is necessarily QAnon per se. But at the same time, like if a guy is 
caught like shooting up a bunch of people and says he is not a fascist, but he believes the undesirable should be exterminated and is really into the Turner Diaries and the protocols of the elders of Zion. Of course, the dude is fascistic in many ways. And I don't see how you look at a case like this and not see like the markings of QAnon rotting your brain just completely all over. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, whether or not he's a specific Q guy or if he's into other kind of similar stuff, I, I, I think more broadly, like this is, you know, this is something we're seeing more and more of is this kind of weird, just really weird violence um, coming out of the conspiracy theory internet. You know, just recently the FBI issued their report on the Nashville uh, Christmas bombing, which turned out to be, you know, essentially it was just like, well, I don't know, the guy was really amped up on conspiracy theories, so he decided to build a car bomb. We're seeing more and more of this stuff. Again, a lot of it's QAnon related, not all of it. You know, unfortunately, I think it's something that we will only be seeing more of. And also, a lot of guys like this, like the guy you were talking about who held up 11 National Guard soldiers, they also don't just seem like they were infected the really deep online, but also they are still treating real life as if they are doing nothing more than simply posting on the internet, something that is generally consequence-free. I mean, how do you hold up a bunch of National Guardsmen with a, what I'm assuming, Will, was a loaded firearm, and then kind of shrug it off and think, oh, I guess I was wrong. I had good intentions. Do I get, like, a speeding ticket now or something like that? It's like, no. Right, I mean, it's sort of the same thing we saw with the riot, right? Where, I mean, if you were actually consciously, like, I am committing a felony, you would not constantly be posting about it and then arguing on Facebook when people say Antifa did it. You would be like, no, it was me. It was me. You know, or, or you know, just recently we had a, one of the alleged rioters who was arrested wearing a shirt that said, like, I was there January 6th. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, th- th- there is this sense that I think that, that it is bleeding over, like, or people just aren't, it's just like, like, you're just making another internet post. Um, and then, of course, there is also, I think, with a lot of these kind of QAnon or Q-related crime, there is this idea, it's almost like you're playing a video game where it's like, I'll take matters into my own hands. Right. Except in a video game, you don't necessarily get 10 years in a maximum security lockup. Well, on that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from the Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and some other colleagues at the Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media and with your friends. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.